Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello friends and welcome back to episode 50 of the Simply Fit Podcast and it feels good to say episode 50. I'm so glad we've made it to episode 50. I'm so glad that there are 49 episodes preceding this which are full of actionable and simple advice that will help you on your health and fitness journey and I really hope that you guys have enjoyed it up until this point and something that I'm most happy about is the nature of these being consecutive. I've not missed a Sunday yet which is absolutely fantastic. We're almost a year in so it means you guys got something consistent to look forward to and hopefully it has been helping you with your health and fitness journey across this past year and I still have the intentions to make it to 100. I am still putting it out there. I've got a lot of work to do between now and the end of the year. It's actually September 1st as I record this um, but I'm still confident that I will make it. So if you guys are frequent listeners to the podcast or you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that today's episode is going to be a bit more of a personal Q&A. I think it's really important that you guys get to know who the person behind the microphone is, who is the person giving you all of this advice and who is essentially Elliot Hassoun. So what I've done is I've asked Instagram and all the people on there. I've asked some friends, I've asked some family, I've asked the people closer to me to give me some questions to answer today, to give you a bit of a context and look into who I am. So I'm going to be as organic as possible today. I have not prepped for these questions whatsoever. The biggest prep I've done is just literally scrolling through them now and grabbing my coffee, which is like my third of the day, but I digress. So we're going to dive into I think between 15 to 20 kind of shorter to longer questions. And then we're going to do a quick fire round at the end. So in no particular order, we are going to dive straight in. So let's get started. Number one, did you go to university? So the answer to that question is a no. The fortunate thing for me is that I was in college at the time in which I kind of determined that I wanted to go down this route. 
I thought that the way to go down this was to start as a fitness instructor and then eventually become a personal trainer. Um, you know, that's kind of the way it worked, you know, roughly 10 years or so ago, fitness instructors were in every single gym. They were the people who did your induction. They were the people who walked around the gym, giving you advice, et cetera, maybe held some of the classes and they are a bit of a dying breed. You don't see them as much anymore. And it is just, you know, personal trainers. However, I was fortunate enough to find a course that was able to, you know, expedite that process and actually told me that I could go straight into personal training. Little did I know that meant I was starting my own business when I was, you know, literally 18 years old. However, that was the case. And I kind of dived, you know, both feet in. I guess that's the fortunate thing of being young and uh, <laughs> naive. I, I, I'm not wanting to use the word ignorant there, but young and naive. And I just did. I went straight for it. And in the initial stages, I think that my passion and my enthusiasm really, really carried me through, which was, you know, the fortunate aspects and allowed me to get to where I was because it was just hungry to learn. I already knew quite a lot about health and fitness, like for the average person my age, just because I loved it so much. You know, I started going to the gym, you know, three or four years before that, when I was very, very young, just because of I, I wanted to. I wanted to improve my body composition. I told you guys before that I didn't enjoy the way my body looked. And I found that the gym and manipulating my diet just through Google searches and stuff led me to knowing that that was the way to do it. So I gained a ton of knowledge. I then did my qualification and then I got started. So I didn't actually find a need for university, which is quite fortunate. And, you know, I feel that university can be valuable for people who need the certain qualifications to go into the roles that they want to. Uh, but for me, I was pretty content on being a personal trainer at the time. So I didn't see the need for that. And I just wanted to get straight into work. And that's exactly what I did. So question number two, how many cities have you traveled in the world? Uh, it's interesting to see a lot of these questions are about travel today. So I'm looking forward to going through these, but cities, I have never stopped to count, but if I had to guess, so I actually did count countries. And I think I am around 20 at this moment in time in different countries that I've traveled to. So if we're looking at cities, I want to say probably, probably double that at least, maybe double to triple. So I'm going to say between 40 and 60, maybe I'll do a count one day, maybe if I've got, you know, some time spare, but I would say roughly between 40 and, you know, that's not the end of it. We're going to probably do many, many more in the next, you know, five or 10 years or so. So next question, why did you decide to get tattoos and are you planning to have more? So I have wanted tattoos for the longest time. I funnily enough have a picture of quite a big tattoo that I wanted before I was even legally allowed to get tattoos. And I still have that tattoo picture with me and I'm eventually going to get it on me. So I've, I've wanted it for years and it's probably subconsciously because I was a big fan of David Beckham when I was younger and, you know, he was covered in tattoos. So maybe there was something subconscious there, but I have always really, really liked the look of tattoos. I really like the fact that, you know, you can essentially have a blank canvas of your body, which you can keep it as. And I think that's beautiful in one way, but I also like the fact you can add art and, you know, pictures and words and yeah, essentially just artwork on your body that is meaningful. And that's what I wanted and what I'm doing at the moment and what I pretty much intend to do entirely for all of the tattoos that I have is they're going to be reminders. They're going to be things that I want to keep conscious of. It's so easy for us to forget the things that are important on a day-to-day -day basis. So the tattoo on my right arm says perspective, right? And it's, it's actually reflective to basically show there's two ways in which you can look at any situation. And obviously, you know, you've just got to adjust your perspective from time to time. The second tattoo I got is the word uh, now in Spanish, which is ahora, and it's on my chest. So anytime 
time that I am, you know, potentially not in the now, I'm in the future, I am thinking about the past, I can literally just touch, you know, my chest, which is actually kind of where my heart is, and I can remind myself to come back to the present moment. I like the Spanish language, I thought the word now was a little bit too aggressive, and that's why I went for ahora, and it just has a little bit more of a meaning to me. And then the next tattoo I got was actually the skull on my uh, bottom right calf, I guess you could say, near my ankle. Um, and that one is just unique to me. You know, it's like a little Mexican skull and I've always really liked those. I've always really liked skulls for some reason too. And it just reminded me that, you know, that's unique to me. There's no one else who has influenced me getting on that. And that is just my reminder to stay authentic to myself. And then the final uh, one is a little bit of a triangle. It's kind of an earth symbol on the back of my left tricep. And that one is just to stay grounded. I didn't like the idea of an anchor, which I know a lot of people get when they say to stay grounded, but that actually made me think, you know, getting trapped or like rooted to the ground, which I don't like the idea of, but I like the sign of earth and coming back to, you know, being grounded more so than anything. So that's my meaning behind them. And I have plans to get many more. I have a really good tattooist in Dubai. So as soon as I get back to there, I will be getting quite a few more. So next question, which is biggest learnings from traveling around the world and would you advise people to do it? So before I even go into the learnings, I would absolutely advise anyone who has, you know, even the slightest interest in traveling to go. And even if you don't, just put yourself out of your comfort zone and just try going somewhere new and see what if you like it. To be completely honest, before 2017, 18, traveling wasn't really on my radar. I think I'd gone to maybe like three foreign countries at that point and they were just like mini holidays here and there. It really wasn't anything it was the goal wasn't to travel it was just to you know take a break and go to the sun more so than anything get myself a good tan and come back um but i am so glad i got the opportunity to travel and i'm so grateful to have the opportunity to travel now and one of the biggest learnings that i would say is i mean to begin with travel changes people fundamentally travel will change you as an individual and what we don't recognize is when we grow up in our hometowns and our home countries is that we kind of, I won't want to say conform or fall in line, but we are very similar to those around us, you know, and we don't actually realize how limited that worldview is. And I say this from someone who was in this position, you know, I'm from the UK. I grew up in Oxford. I went, I, you know, I lived in London. I lived in Cheltenham for a little while and that was for the majority of my life. And I didn't, kind of identify myself as someone who was, you know, British through and through. I've never been really patriotic. I've never really been like, you know, wrapping the flag around my shoulders or anything like that. I appreciate the country, but I've never been super, super British in my eyes. And then what I realized is that I was way more British than I thought, you know, I was actually very fortunate to have a partner who wasn't native and opened my eyes up to how kind of single-minded in a way that you can get when you live in one country and you don't leave that country. And only once I started to change did I see how the rest of the world lived and how your life in your hometown, and this isn't just about being British, this is if you're American, this is if you're Australian, this is if you're Spanish, this is if you are Puerto Rican, it doesn't matter where you are growing up, like you will find that you are just growing, you're a product of your environment, essentially. And that's where having like a diverse group of friends, you know, those who are of different ethnicities, races, uh, you know, thought processes is really valuable because they'll open up your mind, but even more so will be stepping out of that comfort zone 
alone and actually going into different countries and different cities and just seeing the way that they live. It's honestly fascinating, you know, even just go to somewhere as simple as like the US, for example, and seeing the level of customer service, which I absolutely love the fact that you get served and maddened all over the place and people smile and greet you when you come into the store, you know, but then that's something a very, very simple example. But then you go somewhere like the Middle East and you see the traditional dress that people are wearing. And it's just so, so eye-opening and it allows you to just broaden your perspective more than you would ever, ever imagine. And, you know, potentially the problems that you see in your day, you just reflect on, you're like, well, you know, this problems don't exist in this country or the problems that exist in another country that you don't have. And it's just fascinating to see, even in like a recent trip to Istanbul, and I mentioned this in one of my previous podcasts where, you know, you see the amount of like elderly men socializing. And I was like, I've never seen an example of so many elderly men socializing, you know, they're sitting there having their coffee, you know, way, and I mean, I would say that in the UK, you see this a lot more of females, whereas it was really interesting to see in, in Istanbul when I was there, you know, the men just sitting, having coffee, sitting on these little stools, drinking their Turkish coffee. And I thought this was fantastic. The fact that men of 60, 70 years old were so publicly socializing. And then you come to a place like Spain, where you go out to a restaurant and there's a family of six, eight, 10 you know, sitting all together, enjoying like this long meal with each other. And it's just beautiful to see. And I don't get me wrong, this happens in other countries, this happens in the UK as well, but the prevalence of it compared to other countries and just the way that you see that some things in certain countries are so normal and others aren't, it's just so eye-opening. And it's just can't broaden your horizons and your perspective enough. And I absolutely love that. And I'm excited to visit more and more countries to get opportunities to see that even more. And then you can take aspects that you like, and you can add that to your life as well. Like, you know, that family meal thing that they do in Spain and they do in Italy is something I would love to do in the future. You know, those are the type of things you see. And you're like, that's incredible. That's such a nice thing to just see the kids running around, the parents, you know, just having a conversation, all eating a good meal. I think it's a beautiful thing to watch watch. And, you know, it's not exclusive to just being Spanish or Italian. It's just once you see that, you can then adopt these type of things. So I think that was a beautiful element. And that is one of the probably the biggest learnings from travel. Um, I'm sure there's many more, but that's probably a separate podcast in itself. So next question is favorite animal. And to narrow it down to one animal is tough. I did grow up with dogs and I really, really loved that. And I still love going home to see the two puppers that we have. And one is unfortunately passed away, but yeah, absolutely love going home to see those. So dogs are definitely up there, but I wouldn't narrow it down to one animal. I think I just have an appreciation for the majority of animals, maybe not pigeons so much, but in general, I am, uh, yeah, really appreciative of the fact that we have an animal kingdom living around us as we live as well. So from a pretty laid back question to quite a serious one. So biggest failure of last year. Oh, that's a big one. Um, I actually don't look at things as failures like ever. I look at them as opportunities to learn. I don't see the value in having failures or regrets. I see the value in having lessons. So if you do have any failures and regrets that you're thinking of now, try and find the lesson. And if you can't, you probably will in the future. We aren't always able to see them at the time, but you might see it two years down the line. You might see it 20 years down the line, but I guarantee you that every single situation or anything that happens to you in life will have a meaning behind it if you eventually search for it. And that can be really, really encouraging because when you go through hardships, you can think to yourself, even in the moment, you can be like, this is teaching me something. You might not be able to find it at the time, but if you go in with that mindset, you're a little bit more accepting of the situation, no matter how bad it is. So I wouldn't say I 
have a biggest failure. But one thing that comes to mind is I recently heard a quote from, it was actually from Michaela Peterson, who said that Jordan Peterson, her dad, and who I'm a big fan of, gave her the advice. She was was asked what was the best advice that her dad had given her. And she said, try to treat yourself as a friend that you're trying to help. Try and treat yourself as a friend that you are trying to help. And this was really eye-opening to me as if I was to try and help out a friend right now, I would be patient. I would be compassionate. I'd be caring. I would be trying to find a solution. I would be patient. I think I already said that, but it shows how patient I would be. And I would just be kind, you know, and I would be making sure that they didn't give themselves too much of a hard time. So if I look at my quote unquote biggest failure last year is I probably didn't treat myself as a friend enough. And it's something I tried to keep in my mind at all times. So I'm not there giving myself a hard time, berating myself to do stuff, which, you know, we all have the tendency to do and listen to that negative voice inside our heads. So I'd say that's probably the biggest area for improvement for this year is to treat myself more like a friend because I definitely wasn't doing too much of that over the last year. And on to the next question, which is quite a contrast, which is biggest success of the last year. And I wouldn't nail this down to one individual thing, but if I look at my life as a whole, what I want to see is progress. I want to see progress in myself physically. I want to see progress in myself mentally, spiritually, uh, financially, as a brother, a friend, a partner, right? I want to see progress in from all of those perspectives. And I feel like if I reflect on where I was last year compared to where I am today, I am very pleased with the progress that I've made in many of those areas. I'm not necessarily measuring, like I don't think you can necessarily measure, am I more enlightened this year or am I a better friend this year? Maybe you can, you know, reflect on the relationships you have with people and maybe your level of self-awareness, but I just feel better in the majority of those areas. So I'd say that's my biggest success of the last year and I would love to keep that going. So on to the next question, which is what are your top tips personally for keeping your health and fitness on point whilst traveling. So this is something I feel like I have a good amount of authority to speak on now. Like I've managed to nail the game of maintaining my body shape and size and even gaining strength and making progress, dieting. I've done it all on the move now. And I'm really pleased with the ability to have done that because of it did require me to learn a new skill, right? Maintaining your body weight is a skill in itself. Maintaining your body weight where you have your variables changing very regularly is a skill. And people underestimate and I know this is a bit, a bit of a first world problem, but you know, moving from Airbnb to Airbnb every month can be quite challenging in terms of not only tr- tr- like trying to work out where your knives and forks are, you need to work out the ne- next supermarket is, you need to work out where your new gym is. You know, even if you stay in the same city, right? When I was staying in Lisbon last year, I think I moved Airbnbs within three months, four times, and I had to try out two different gyms. I had to find out where the nearest supermarket was to me. And it's not always easy, but I've definitely been able to nail it with just a few things that I would say that have helped me every time. And the first thing is that you just need to go out there and find a gym first thing first, or you need to find your place to train or do your sport, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're doing bodyweight training, where you're doing some form of sport, you need to make sure that that's one of the first things you do. 
The second is that you can't get caught up in holiday modes. And this is something that was big for me. You know, I would be walking, and Lisbon's a good example. Again, I'd be walking to a coffee shop in the morning to go to work. And there'd be people at 10 a.m. sitting there having a beer, enjoying their holiday. And it's very easy to get caught up in the mindset of like, oh, I want to go for a beer, even though I'm not even that big of a fan of beer. But you see people relaxing, enjoying themselves. And it's very easy to get caught up in with like, oh yeah, I'm only going to be in this country for a certain amount of time. I need to enjoy, you know, the local foods that they have here. And to some degree, that is totally fine. But if you are traveling on a long-term basis like myself, you can't fall into that trap regularly. So for me, it was a case of making sure that I always stayed in Airbnbs. I said this on the traveling podcast that I did and I prep my foods the majority of the time. And I do give myself permission to have that occasional meal out to enjoy the local foods of where I am. But I know what phase I'm in. So if I'm in a maintenance phase, then you know one or two meals out per week is absolutely fine. However, if I'm in the fat loss phase, I might have to skip on those and just say, okay, next time I'm in this country, I'll do it then. So I think those two things is just like finding your training location and making sure that you maintain that no matter what is super important. And then also making sure you're not getting caught up in holiday mode and you have plans for your food. And I think that just preparation in advance is just so crucial. And then also planning out your traveling days too, like having those universal rules is probably the number one advice I can give you. You know, knowing that if I have a short flight, I'm not eating makes it so much easier to make that choice when I am traveling. You know, knowing that I'm not going to buy terrible food from an airport makes my life easier. You know, I can plan these things effectively. So having those universal rules for yourself that you can take anywhere is probably the most powerful advice I can give you. So on to the next, why did you leave us in gloomy London? Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I didn't expect this year to be like the worst from a weather perspective that it's ever been in the UK. And what made you decide to jet set around the world? So I think this adds into the question that I answered earlier in terms of how much I love the unique perspective and the opportunity I have to travel. It was a life that I kind of wanted to create for myself. I always wanted to do something along these lines. And I haven't probably given myself enough credit for creating an ability to do this. But I think one thing I wanted to add to this, which I think is actually probably underpinning the reason why I do travel and why I'm open to going to so many different countries and then open to leaving the country that I grew up in, is because I never really felt like this is my home. This is where I'm going to stay and make a life. You know, I never found that place in which I think, okay, yeah, this is the place. This is the place I am going to stay permanently. And therefore, traveling allows me to experience different places. And maybe one day I'll land in a country or I'll land in a city and I'll be like, yeah, this is it. This is the place I'm going to spend you know, the you know the majority of my life in. And up until this point, I've not found that place. And the beauty of travel is, like I said, you can find different elements of different countries and cities that you love and one day bring it back to somewhere. But you can also see the elements of what you want. And I'm not ruling out living in the UK in the future, but the weather is a big factor. You know, I want to be by the sea. I want the sun shining the majority of the time. And unfortunately, the UK doesn't offer that. It offers a lot of incredible things, um, but also so do a lot of other countries. So I think right now, the opportunity to travel is giving me an idea into what I want to have within my life so I can curate my life and find a place where I can actually have the majority of things that I want. And I've got the beauty of being, you know, relatively young. My business is my biggest responsibility right now. I do have family in the UK, which I, you know, I care about a lot, but I still, I'm going to see them regularly outside this COVID situation, which actually limits me from traveling, you know, back to the UK as much. So realistically, I have the opportunity to do so. So I'm just going to continue doing doing it. So I eventually find that place, but in the process, I get to explore the world at the same time. If you had to choose a career that was non-health and fitness related, 
what would you choose? Does sport count? If sports <laughs> doesn't count within this, then I would have loved to be a professional athlete. Like it doesn't matter what sport it would have been. I really, really loved playing football growing up. I loved any sport. I loved tennis. I, you know, I was a big fan of skateboarding, as most of you know. It's actually a question about this later on. So I definitely would have been an athlete, but that is kind of closely related to health and fitness. So I'll, I'll give you another one. And the other thing that I wanted to be is I wanted to be a teacher. That was one of the things I was really keen to do. I did work experience as a teacher in school um, when I was much younger. And I kind of see what I do today as that, right? I'm just teaching health and fitness versus teaching a school subject. So that was actually the thing that I wanted to do. So hopefully that answers the question. So on to the next, what are you going to do differently this year to level up? Oh, good question. So what am I going to do differently? I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm going to do this differently. I feel like I've been starting to do this, but I feel like the most important thing you can do to level up is get out of your own way. I think this is something that's really fascinating. If we think about it, the majority of the time we are the people or the person in our own way. So the one thing I'm going to do is probably lean into being authentic as possible. Um, I find that we probably are distracted and we fill our time with things that actually don't serve us and don't really matter to us. And again, we get in our own ways and taking ownership is probably one of the most important lessons I ever learned. So I think I'm just going to continue to make sure that I'm not being in my own way, lean into my authentic self and continue to take ownership. And as a byproduct of doing that, I will facilitate the things and person I want, the things I want to do and the person I want to become. So I think that would, you know, define leveling up in my eyes. Next up, what is your favorite music genre? <laughs> this one might surprise a few people. I'd say if I had to put it into two genres, I'd say my top two most listened and most favorite are country music and Latin music. And I know it might be a bit of a surprise, but that is what I'm all about. If you actually scrolled through my Spotify right now, that is literally what you would see. I love when you get that Spotify wrapped at the end of the year and it goes through all of your crazy music taste. I'm so open in the sense of like, I just like music that sounds good to me. So I'm not averse from listening to hip hop or heavy metal. I actually listen to a lot of rock music when I train. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of that, but the country music comes from, you know, my dad listening to a lot of country when I was younger as well. So I like the old school country, but I'm a big fan of the new school country as well. Uh, some of my favorite country artists would be Luke Coombs. I'm very big fan of Luke Coombs, Sam Hunt, uh, Morgan Wallen. Uh, on the female side, Daniel Bradbury. So very, very big fan of country music. And then when it comes to Latin, big fan of Maluma, Italian. Which people might make fun of me of if they know um, a lot about a Spanish music and Latin music. And actually, what I would say is I really, really like music with emotion. You know, I really like sad songs. I know, I know, and it might surprise people, but it might actually also be quite obvious to some people as well. So I like emotional music. I like music with meaning. You know, when those playlists you'll find on Spotify where it says music to break up over or sad songs, like that is what I'm all about <laughs> right there. So let's transition on to the next. How do you find not having a home to return to? So that's an interesting question. And it is something that you definitely have to get used to. If for those of you people who don't know, I actually left the apartment I was living in, uh, in London in last July. And since then I've only lived in Airbnbs and hotels. It's part of what I do. I travel and I work at the same time. I haven't had a longer place to live longer than like three or four months. Dubai earlier this year was the longest I stayed in one place for the last year. And you know, for the time being, that's my intention 
you know, for as long as I can, for as long as I'm enjoying it, to be completely honest, I don't actually know when it's going to stop. So it's definitely something you have to get used to. And don't get me wrong, I still have my family home in Oxford. I wouldn't necessarily say I could go back there to live there. I don't think I would ever do that again. As much as I love my family, it's just not going to be something I ever do. So yeah, technically, I don't really have my own home. And I would say that it takes a lot of adjustment from the perspective of like, even just the small things like moving between place to place, you have to work out where your supermarket is, where your gym is, where your knife and fork drawer is, which is, you know, a little bit crazy to say. And you have to buy like cleaning products every time you move into a new place. And like all these small things really do add up. And I don't get me wrong, they are first world problems. But if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective as well, like your community, your tribe, your hometown, your home country city is deeply rooted into you. And I don't, negate the fact that that's probably playing a little bit of a role uh, from a, a very deep perspective. But I do think that initially I had a little bit more trouble with it. But now I believe that the stability that people are looking for from having a home, from having a community, from having a tribe, it really comes down to how internally stable you are. So the more you are settled with your headspace, with your sense of self, you're meeting your own needs, you're leaning into your authenticity, the more internal stability you create, the less you care for the external stability. So I think the people who need that home, you know, people, you know, most of the reason most people buy houses and get mortgages and stuff like that is for security, it's for stability. They want to feel safe. And a home for them signifies safety and stability, which I completely get. But I also think that if we can create enough internal stability, we don't struggle as much when we don't have as much external stability. So the more I've worked on my internal self in terms of my own sense of well-being, my own internal sense of well-being. And like I said, all those other things I mentioned, the more I've been able to manage the lack of external stability. Like, I can't tell you where I'm going to be in March 2022. I cannot, I have no idea at this moment in time. And that can be anxiety provoking for most people, but it can also be really exciting. And it really depends on your outlook and also your current mental state. And I know if I wasn't in a good place mentally, I would struggle with the idea of not knowing where my next move was. So that's a really, really interesting question. And I think it's something that worth considering if you're ever planning to do what I do. Next up, who has been your most frustrating client? Oh, imagine if I answered that question and they were still on my roster. No, I'm going to give you a story about a client I was working with when I was personal training in Oxford in the very early days. So this was probably a point in my career where as a coach and as a trainer, if you're someone who really, really cares about the people you work with and you have a really deep passion for what you do, There is a period of your career, you might even still be in it if you're listening as one of these people, where you actually care more than the clients do. You know, you want to see them succeed sometimes more than they want to. And with this person I was working with, I think his parents paid for his personal training sessions. I don't think he wanted to be there. I think his parents just thought he needed to stay fit. He needed to go to a gym. And if he was going to go to the gym, he would need someone to force him basically to do the exercise. And so basically the sessions were like, (laughs) they were exhausting for me personally. And obviously at that time I was like, oh, I want to see him get the most out of his sessions. But I literally had to drag him across the gym sometimes. And I'm being serious. I physically dragged the dude And one day he had a session with me, maybe it was around midday or 1pm or something along those lines. And there was like some chairs just around the corner from where us personal trainers waited for our clients. And he was sat there eating McDonald's before our session. He was eating like fries and a cheeseburger literally before our session. 
His goal, he wasn't looking to build muscle or, or gain strength. He was looking to lose body weight and body fat. And he was eating McDonald's literally minutes before our sessions. And that was probably the, one of the most memorable moments in my entire personal training career. I just literally went up to him. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm hungry. And I was like, well, can you A, choose a better place to eat McDonald's rather than being in the gym before our session? And B, what are you doing? Anyway, I digress. So he was quite a character. And if we going into frustrating, that I think it was more funny than frustrating. I think I got the point that he didn't really care. Um, and like I said, I had to just adjust my levels to his levels of care. And at that point, I still did my job. I still did the best I could do with him. But it was quite clear that he wasn't really that interested in losing weight or burning body fat. So let's move on to the next, which is, are you planning to have kids? And if so, what do you want to teach them? So that's a very, very deep and interesting question. So the first one is, am I planning? Well, I'm currently not planning to have them in the immediate future. And I do remember a client who I was working with um, recently in London, and he said something about him and his partner. And he said, if we are fortunate enough to have kids, and I, it, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was thinking, he just said, if we are fortunate enough to have kids, or if we're blessed enough to have kids. And it's funny that we automatically, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is an automatic kind of assumption from an evolutionary perspective that we are here, you know, it, depending on what your thought process is to procreate. And it was the first time that I thought, okay, well, actually, it's not a given. You know, we do consider tomorrow as a given. We consider next week, uh, you know, years into our life as a given. And he said something like, if we're blessed enough or if we're fortunate to have kids. And it really hit me. And I was like, well, that's a very good point. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's not a given. So that really shifted my perspective to thinking about, okay, well, actually, you know, maybe one day I would love to. But, you know, that's not necessarily a given. So I have to bear that in mind. So I thought I'd just share that firstly, because if you've ever, you know, considered, you know, kids just being an automatic or something that is a given, you know, we've got to bear in mind that there are a lot of people in this world who aren't able to have children. Um, maybe they can adopt and go through, you know, other different treatments. But like I said, it's it's not a given. So I do think of it as, as a blessing and as a privilege as well. So if I was blessed enough to have kids one day, um, what would I want to teach them? So I think I'd probably go through a lot of the individual life lessons that I've gone through. But what I think underpins it all is defining their values. I didn't define my own personal values until earlier this year. It took me until my late 20s to get here. And if you've not to find your values and you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and get onto it right away. It gives you so much clarity. It gives you so much direction. It gives you the ability to answer questions way easier because you know what's important to you. And I think it's so important to get your children to think about that at a very, very early stage. What is important to me? Why is it important to me? And like I said, it gives you clarity. It gives you direction. It gives you answers. And if you can give a child an opportunity to have more clarity, direction, and answers, I think you're putting him in a very, very favorable position. And then, you know, obviously you will live by example. And I feel like this is the next aspect is I want to live by example. I want my teachings to be a byproduct of what they see me do and maybe what they see my partner in the future do. Not something that I tell them to do necessarily. They just see me exercising and therefore they think, okay, exercising is a normal thing. They see me eating in a certain way. They see me treating others with respect. They see me, you know, working hard. They see me doing 
all these things. And I live by what I believe is important to me. And I hope that they will live by what's important to them and that they will have a good influence on that based on seeing what their parents and those around them do. So I think those are kind of lessons that I would want to impart on them in the early stages and then give them enough space to be themselves, to grow into the people that they are supposed to be. And I think the next part of that is just allowing them to define a purpose for themselves as well. I think not having a purpose in life, and I don't want to be too grandiose here, but not having anything that you're working towards can make life almost seem a little bit, you have to ask yourself, what's the point at times when you don't have a purpose? Whereas if you have a guiding light, if you have something that you're working towards, you get up every morning and you you see the point, you know, you really do see the point. And that's where I have to have empathy and compassion for those people who haven't defined a purpose for themselves, because it will be hard for them to look at life and just be like, well, you know, what really is the purpose of this? So I think those are the things I want to impart on them. Values, I would want to lead by example, and I would want to show them the importance of having a purpose, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose like, you know, becoming a president or a, you know, a key political figure or a CEO. It just has to be something that means something to them. So that's my answer to that question. So on to the next, what jobs did you have before you started coaching? So this is quite a fun story. So funnily enough, my sister, I think, found the job application for me uh, for the first job I went for. And I just put together some <laughs> pretty terrible CV, sent it in. I aced the interview because the guy liked football. I was into football at the time. We just had a conversation about football. So it was fantastic. And I got the job quite easily. And during the process of that um, job, it was like an inner clothing store. And it was really enjoyable. I worked with some great people. I really, you know, they, they enjoyed my company. I enjoyed theirs. It didn't really feel like a job at times. And then that company closed down and it became a footwear store. And I worked with more incredible people. And that's probably my favorite part of working in retail is that I was able to work with such fantastic people. And it really goes to show that a team really does matter. Like, I mean, to be completely honest, you know, retail wasn't for me. I'm not really interested in, you know, selling people shoes or selling people clothing, you know, or anything like that. Like I, I definitely found aspects of it interesting and it's definitely changed the way that I lace a shoe forever. But, you know, my manager at the time in the footwear store was awesome. I wanted to work for him because he was such a cool dude. And, you know, people like Lee, who I know who listens to this podcast, he's a friend to this day. You know, I don't see him as much as I might want to, but the people in that job made it fantastic. And even though I was getting you know, paid what you get paid in retail, you know, and at that time I was also towards the end, I was working part-time as a personal trainer and part-time in this footwear store. I was earning way more as a personal trainer, but I stuck around because I just enjoyed the people I worked with. And I enjoyed being around that team and doing, you know, working for them, you know, working as a team. So I think that was um, a really big lesson to show us that, you know, the team really does matter, but also, you know, at some point you've got to let go in, in what you think is more important to you. And obviously personal training at that time was, but those are the two jobs I had. I was very fortunate to have those because they were incredibly enjoyable. Don't get me wrong, there was some you know challenges to it. You know, there always is going to be. But I do feel very privileged to have the opportunity to work in jobs that I didn't absolutely hate or were dire by any stretch of the imagination. So on to the next, what got you into skateboarding? Were you always into it? So yes, I was such a big fan of skateboarding when I was younger. Those of you who don't know, if you see any photos of me from a young child, I had long hair. I was I liked rock. I hung out with the you know 
and skater kids, like that was me, you know? So <laughs> skateboarding kind of went hand in hand with that. It was actually just a form of transportation more so than anything. I never did any tricks or anything along those lines, but it was only in lockdown last year when I realized like I wasn't doing anything for play, you know? And the problem with other sports, especially during a pandemic, is that, you know, A, they're not on, but also you have to rely on other people, right? If you do team sports or you have to rely on a facility to, you know, play football or tennis in, whereas with skateboarding, you just need your board and dry weather and hopefully <laughs> some smooth concrete so you're not bouncing all over the place. So when I picked up the board again, it felt so natural. And now these days I have a very big love for skill acquisition. You know, I really like learning new skills and getting better at things. And I never really did tricks when I was younger, but I realized my ability to understand how to do these tricks and then, you know, put my feet in certain positions was a lot greater than it was back in the day. So I find it really, really fun. I'm actually trying to get a teacher at the time because I find that the better you get at a skill, the more enjoyable it also becomes. So that's definitely going to be something I continue to do. I've even gotten into watching it now as well. I actually really enjoy watching it. I watched the Olympics. I literally got up at like 3 a.m. or something in the morning to watch it. And it's really enjoyable. It's something that I didn't expect to enjoy so much at this stage of my life, but I'm definitely getting involved in it and I'm going to continue to get better at it as the years go on. And also I like the fact that it's a form of cardio that just feels fun. I feel that if anyone can find a sport or a hobby that is like active like that, that doesn't require you to do any cardio and go for it. It's going to help the longevity of your your health and fitness journey as well because if you'll be doing something for fun and you'll be getting the benefits of doing cardio workout as a byproduct of just having fun. So I think that's a great idea. So on to the next question. What advice would you give you to yourself 10 years ago if you had the opportunity to do so? So funnily enough, I think I journaled about this on my way to Dubai this year and I asked myself that question. I actually asked myself what the version of me 10 years ago would think of me today and what advice would, you know, the 10 years on from now give my current day self. Um, It was a really interesting thought exercise. So if you've never done it before, then I would highly encourage you to do it. So I wish I could pull out my journal, but I don't have it with me right now. So if I was to give myself advice to the version of me that was 10 years younger, I would probably just tell him to trust himself a little bit more and to enjoy the journey a little bit more. And as I know that does sound cliche, don't get me wrong, it really does. But I feel like sometimes we're so stuck in our own heads and maybe I'd even tell him to get out of his own way at times as well and just take action and be willing to learn along the way. Because I think I did a lot of that, but I also was very like fearful of failure potentially. Um, and I probably analyzed things too much before I actually just jumping and doing it. Yeah, that would be the advice that I would give to him. And hopefully he would just have a little bit more of an enjoyable journey getting to where he got to and would just trust himself a little bit more. You know, I feel that, you know, without blowing my own trumpet, I feel like I'm a a caring, decent human being. And I feel like if you combine that with being a hardworking person and putting your energy in the right place, you'll eventually get what you're after, you know, both from a a personal perspective, also from what you want to achieve in life as well. So that would probably be the advice that I would give. On to the next. Have you undergone any surgeries? Yes, I have. I've had quite a few, actually. I had one on my leg when I was really younger. I had some infection that had to be like cut open. That was on Boxing Day as well, of all days. Um, so straight into surgery after Christmas wasn't fun. Actually, my most recent one was on my neck. I had a benign tumor in my in my uh, neck, funnily enough, that I had to get removed. It was actually just three years ago or so. And something that I probably should be better at is taking things like that a little bit more seriously. 
I didn't take it seriously. I thought it would be, you know, super straightforward procedure. And, you know, as soon as I got out of the surgery, I tried to stand up. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Apparently my face turned like a ghost and, you know, I almost fell over, but I was fine. I was like, yeah, I just want to move around. I just want to get some air. I just want to walk around. And yeah, so I probably should take those things a little bit more seriously, but I go in with a quite a laid back approach, which kind of tends to be my nature when it comes to those type of things anyway. And when I was there, actually, I was like not having the hospital food as well. So, you know, I was asking for things like chicken broth. <laughs> I was asking, you know, for all these different foods and they were like, are you not going to eat the food? I'm like, no, I'm getting my own. And I think even ended up ordering Deliveroo, getting some Nando's into there. So yeah, I have gone for a few surgeries and I think obviously the most challenging part is that recovery. I'm always someone who just wants to get up and get going again. So I think anytime that I've had anything that I've had to recover from, it's just been a pain to hold myself back. I just want to get going and, you know, live my normal life again, which I probably did sooner than I should have done. I think within like three or four days of that surgery, I was up and moving again. I think I went back to London as soon as I could. Uh, I just wanted to get on with life to be completely honest. So that's how I, how I take uh, those type of situations. So on to next, do you have siblings? I do have siblings. I have two sisters and one brother. And I was actually the the youngest of the bunch, which probably gave me a little bit of an easier ride as I was growing up. However, my maturity levels have been always beyond the age that I was actually at. So I think they've always looked at me as little big brother Elliot more so than anything. And yeah, I was closer to my sisters in age as I was growing up. So we spent, you know, majority of the time together. So still close to them to this day, still contact and communicate with them on a regular basis. So on to the next, what advice would you give someone who wants to start a podcast? Great question. And my advice would be start it and if you've got any questions please feel free to reach out as well I can definitely help you with that and I look back on the past 50 episodes and it's a lot of work especially if you're going to take control of everything which I did in the earlier stages I do have editors now so shout out to those who are going to be editing this one um, which made life so much easier it just meant that I had to just produce the podcast in itself but it is a lot more work than most people would expect especially if you are going to commit to weekly episodes as I've done if you're going to do twice which eventually that I will be doing. It's a lot more work than just talking to someone, recording a conversation, especially if you're going to do solo episodes. I, you know, take the time to prep every week. I make sure that I'm getting the most thought-provoking questions. Like I'm always thinking, you know, what does the audience want to hear? And it's really important that I nail that because I don't want to just create content for the sake of it. I want to create content that's going to add value and people will want to listen to it. You know, they're not just listening to it because it's what I put out. It's what they genuinely like. Oh, well, that's actually really thought-provoking and interesting. So I think the first thing you want to do is like ask yourself why you're doing this. So especially if you're looking to benefit financially from the podcast, then you are definitely going to have some troubles with that and you probably won't for a very long time. So you might want to place your efforts elsewhere. But if you are passionate about just creating a podcast, putting you know stuff out there to the world, good long form content, and you have the time and the resources to do it, then I think the best thing to do is just to get yourself stuck in and get started and learn along the way. And I think there's still plenty for me to learn, but you know, we're 50 episodes in, the podcast is growing. We've hit 25,000 downloads, which, you know, it just blows my mind. And I really enjoy doing it. I used to create YouTube videos and really enjoyed that. I missed the creative outlet and podcasts just work so well for me. You know, these days, if you want to do well on YouTube, you have to have like a full-time videographer and you have to create some unbelievable visual content. Whereas with podcasts, you've really just got to lean on your expertise and experience. Unfortunately, I have been doing this health and fitness stuff for a very long time now. So 
I don't really have to like dig for inspiration. I just have to listen to what people are asking me, especially the people I work with. I just have to give them the most eloquent and, you know, effective answer I can possibly do that's not biased or not confusing in any way. So yeah, I think that if you have a passion to create a podcast for the right reasons, if you enjoy this form of creating content, I know a lot of people just like the quick snappy stuff on TikTok and Instagram and stuff. I prefer this long form. I like the sound of my own voice clearly, then go for it. I think that's the best thing to do is just get started, learn along the way. And you know, if you do enjoy it, stick at it and it will be very, very rewarding and fulfilling. Next question. Do you look up to admire anyone and do you have any role models? So kind of the same with what I said with travel earlier, I like to look at different people and extract the aspects of them that I really do like. And I think having role models and, you know, aspects of traits of people that you admire is really important um, because if you get to curate who you are in life, you know, there's certain things in which you are fundamentally are, like you'll find that you have always potentially been a certain way. And obviously you want to do some digging. That might be something that's conditioned into you. That's another story for another time. But, you know, you'll find that there's certain traits about you that are who you are. But there is also a lot of you that is malleable as well. Do I think that I was always a super hard worker? Not necessarily. I think I built that into myself. And if you asked, you know, my parents, my family, what my sleeping habits when I was younger were like, they would be like, Elliot slept until like 10, 11 a.m., you know, because I like sleep. But these days, you know, I'm up most days anywhere between like 5 a.m. and 7 a.m., right? Like it just depends on the day. But most of the time, it's an, I'm an early morning person now. And I don't think that's natural. That was something I wanted to build into myself. And I also found that I was more productive in the morning. So, you know, I feel like there's a lot of aspects in yourself that you can put into yourself. You can curate and create the person that you are to some degree. So if you look at people who have a lifestyle that you want to have, maybe you are a budding entrepreneur and you see what Jeff Bezos does, right? You might want to look at some of the attributes that he has. If you want to be a sports person, then you might want to look at the aspects that someone else has. So that's what I kind of do. I can't really pick off anyone on top of my head. I mean, if I actually think of like a work ethic perspective, like Tom Bilyeu, who does the Impact Theory podcast, big, big fan of him and his level of like work ethic and, you know, his tenacity and his passion for his craft, I find really inspiring. It's something I like to try and add into the work that I do. From a sporting perspective, I always admired David Beckham. I like the way he carried himself. I like the way he was on the pitch and off the pitch, even like someone like Cristiano Ronaldo. I was a big football fan when I was younger. So sports people have always fascinated me and I loved their level of work ethic and commitment. So anyone that was like a passionate player or someone who really, really just was gritty and determined, I really enjoyed enjoyed watching. So I would, I would say that that's pretty much it. I would try and, you know, maybe create a list and probably it would be good for me to think about the different people that I look up to in different ways of life. And I mean, even people that I meet today, you know, even people that I just see in certain positions and I'm like, yeah, I really like that about you. I want a little bit of that in myself. And that's what I try to do. And then I would try and put it as my own. And, you know, once you combine all of those traits that you gather from other people with fundamentally who you are, that's how you create you know, the person that shows up to the world. And if you're happy with the person that shows up to that world, amazing. If you're not, then you might want to find people who you admire and you aspire to be like, and don't copy them by any shape of the imagination, but take aspects of their personality and their demeanor and the way that they behave and put them into you and put your unique spin on it. And you might create something very, very special. Next up, speaking of adding something to yourself that would make it special, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? You know, what's funny, a few years ago, maybe even five years ago or something along those lines, if you asked me, I would 
would have always said mind reading. Would have loved to have done that. These days, I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, I genuinely don't want to know what's going on in anyone's mind, right? Especially like the unfiltered version, right? We think about it. Most people who, you know, potentially don't meditate, who don't really have a huge amount of metacognition or self-awareness are victims of their own thoughts and their environment. So a lot of what comes out might not even be necessarily what they want to say. And then the people who do have metacognition and self-awareness, when what comes out of their mouth does, it is curated based on their thought process and them coming out with what they actually want to say. And therefore, if you could see an unfiltered version of what everyone was thinking, I don't think that that would be a pleasant existence, right? I really don't think it would be. So coming back to the question, if I could have any superpower now, I would probably have the, I don't know if this is a superpower, if any of the superheroes have this, but I would just like to be able to acquire skills very, very quickly. I would just love to be able to like read about something and be able to do it. I'm sure there's a superhero that can do that, but that would probably be the one I would want to do. Like I could literally look at how to, I don't know, solve a Rubik's cube and do it in like two minutes, <laughs> you know, something along those lines. I was, I was about to say super strength, but that would take all the fun out of the gym. But with skill acquisition, like at least you would able, you would be able to do so many fun and cool things. Like imagine if I could just be like, hey, forget this skateboarding thing that's going to take me five years. I'm going to do it in 10 minutes. And then you could do some crazy tricks in the, you know, the space of five or 10 minutes. I think that would be amazing. Or if you wanted to read a book and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, the, you know, just as much as Elon Musk or his engineers about space and building spaceships, right? Like how cool would that be? So <laughs> that would be my superpower. I digress. On to the next one. What was the last movie you watched? And do you watch a lot of TV? So the last movie I watched was actually on Netflix. It was quite recently. Um, it was a Kevin Hart film and it was called Fatherhood, I think, or something along those lines. It was a really good film. It was emotional, but also very, very funny, as you can expect from a Kevin Hart film. So highly recommend that. I would give it probably a low eight. And do I watch a lot of TV? Um, the answer to that question is absolutely not. I really don't watch a lot of TV at all. I don't know anything really about any of the reality TV shows. When people talk to me about Love Island, I really, literally do not know what happens on Love Island. I, I just know there's an island and, you know, maybe the idea is for people to fall in love. <laughs> like, I, like that's the level at which I don't know. I don't watch or consume any like mainstream like news or media either. Like literally I have not watched a news channel for probably like five or six years. Like the only time that I watch it is if I'm at my parents' place and they've got it on in the background, but I'm always telling them to turn it off because of, you know, you don't want to be consuming that level of media, especially due to the how negative it is all the time. This was something I was very, very keen for my clients to limit when the pandemic first begun. You know, it was just so negative and doom and gloom. And don't get me wrong, a lot of this pandemic has been but if you are inundating yourself with negative news and breaking news and the world is doom and gloom, what do you think that's going to do to your mentality? Especially when people look at the news as like a really key source of information. The only time I go onto the news is when I want to find out something. Like for instance, I was going on during the pandemic just so I knew what the lockdown restrictions were, both myself, but mainly just so I knew what the situation was with my clients, whether their kids were going back to school and stuff like that. And people were like, oh, how can you not watch the news? Do you not feel like, you know, and this is the biggest argument people forgive me. They're like, oh, I want to stay informed. Trust me. If it's important enough, I will find out. Like, I'm not living under a rock. I'm still on social media. I still occasionally come across a an article or a headline on another website I'm watching, like or doing out, or I even have a conversation with someone. You know, I don't think I've ever missed out on anything major. And even if I have, clearly it hasn't impacted my life that much. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I'm not a big fan of people constantly consuming news. I'm not really a big fan of, yeah, just 
mindlessly watching TV. If I'm going to watch something, then it's probably going to be a film. It's going to be some form of series, but I limit my Netflix usage when I'm being well-behaved from Thursday to Sunday. Like I only watch on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Um, most for the most part, because of, I know it will impact my sleep the next day and I might be up later than I want to be. And then outside of that, I literally just watch podcasts or watch educational videos, like on things that I'm interested in. I usually do that as I'm, you know, eating my breakfast or eating my dinner or eating my lunch. Like that's what I'm going to be watching. Maybe some skateboarding videos from time to time. <laughs> that is pretty much everything. So I am going to finish off with a quick fire round because those were all the questions that I collected from everyone who I asked. So first of all, thank you for that. And I hope that you aren't too bored of my voice just yet. And we are going to go through this quick fire round. I'm going to try and keep these answers to less than one sentence. Max, yeah, minimum one word, maximum one sentence. So if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? If I had to narrow it down to one animal, probably a lion in its prime. I think it'd be awesome to be the king of the jungle, just knowing how that felt. Anyway, that would be my reason. So on to the next, what is one of the things that you would put on your bucket list? Funnily enough, I don't have a bucket list. I just kind of, if things appeal to me and I have the resources and the ability to do it, then I'm quite often going to just try and go do it as soon as I can. I think that's the best way to do things. Like there are a couple of things I want to do. Like I want to learn to ride a motorcycle. I want to go shoot a gun. Don't ask me why. I just, I'm intrigued by these things. So when the time comes that I can do those, I'm just going to do them. That was more than one sentence. My apologies. Who is your favorite superhero? and why if I'm honest anytime I watch a superhero movie or a superhero series whoever was the main character in that superhero movie or series becomes my favorite so it might be Spider-Man it might be Daredevil it might be Batman it doesn't matter who, who it is it's just what I'm watching but if I had to choose one I like the way that Robert Downey Jr. played Iron Man so we're just going to go with Iron Man uh, what is your favorite summer activity probably going to the beach. I love going to the beach. So that's definitely going to be the favorite. If a movie was made of your life, what genre would it be? And who would play you? What genre would it be? I'd like to say it would be action, but I don't think it would. I think it'd be one of these like thought provoking films and with a little bit of comedy uh, in there as well. Who would play me? Uh, let's go with Zac Efron. I think he would make a very good Elliot soon. Right. On to the next. Are you a morning or night person? I am 100% a morning person. Trying to keep me up beyond 9pm is a very, very difficult thing to do. What is the one thing that annoys you the most? Oh, good question. I don't get that annoyed by most things. I like to take it easy for the most part. And I have, I have a lot of patience. Like I am very, very patient. But once I get to my limit, I, I do snap. Um, so <laughs> let me think of something funny that annoys me that wouldn't annoy most people. Like slow hand dryers. That is something that really annoys me. You know, when you go into a bathroom and, you know, it's not like one of these Dysons or one of these really rapid ones, but it's one that just barely blows any like warm air at you and you're literally there for like five minutes trying to get your hands dry. So inefficient hand dryers is probably one of those things that annoys me. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, I've never really thought about this, but I think it would be a woman. I think that'd be really intriguing as a man to find out what it feels like to be a woman. So that's the first thing. And then probably a woman who, uh, maybe not a famous woman, but someone who could kind of do whatever they want to. And let's just go with someone like, I don't know, Miley Cyrus, for example, someone who wouldn't have any limits. So you could do whatever you want. You would be a woman and you would kind of get that experience. I don't think it was a good answer, but we're, we're going to go with it. What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I turn that really annoying thing off called my alarm generally. No, then I go and drink some water. I'll go for a shower, go to the bathroom, grab a coffee, you know, kind of normal things that most people do. Uh, what is your favorite joke? Oh, I have quite a few ones. I'm going to drop this one for you. What's the difference between people who live in Abu Dhabi and those who live in Dubai? 
Those who live in Dubai don't like Scooby Doo, but Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> you guys just got a very good look into my sense of humor there. How many books have you read this year so far? Great question. I'm not very good at completing books, if I'm completely honest. I'll start a lot, and if they start to become a little monotonous, I will drop them and repick them up later. So, in terms of completion, I want to say probably between three and five,、uh, but、I、probably started a good ten or so this year. I would go through them, but this is supposed to be a quick fire round. Where would you go if you were invisible? I don't really know. Maybe I would go and listen in on some of the conversations of like you know super important people who are like discussing things like aliens and the real things that are happening inside the walls of the White House and stuff like that to get all this information. And、uh, I probably wouldn't want to have all that information actually, so we'll go with that. But yeah, I probably wouldn't want to do that.、Uh, final question: When I dance, I look like I look like I was born to dance the way that I am dancing in that moment. <laughs> that is my answer to that. And that wraps up the quick fire round as well. That has given you a very good insight into who Elliot Hassoun is. So I hope that you guys are going to continue to listen after that, and I haven't、uh, made a fool of myself too much. But I hope you appreciated the honesty and the organic nature of this podcast.、And、I want to wrap up by thanking every single one of you for listening so far. So happy to be on episode fifty. Excited to bring the next fifty and the next fifty to you, and we will keep. Pushing forward, and I will do my best to bring the most simple and actionable advice to you that will help you with your health and fitness journey, and hopefully, in some ways, your life in general too. So, it would mean a lot to me if you guys could reshare today's episode. If you could rate us a five stars, if you haven't already, that helps the podcast grow. It helps us reach more listeners, and a lot more people can then take away value that we are providing. So, that is everything from me today, team. Have an amazing week ahead. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and we will speak very soon. And that was the Simply Fit podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. To reach out to me on social media, you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.